Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Shakespeare wrote these words. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Some believe the idea that life is meaningless or pointless is a modern idea, that it's just come about in the last few hundred years since the age of reason. The truth is, Macbeth thought life was meaningless, and actually the truth is, a guy who lived 3,000 years ago, and we read from his book last week, King Solomon, came to the conclusion that life is meaningless. And in all of history, there have only really been three important questions. Those questions are, who am I? The question of identity. Where am I going? The question of destiny. And is there any meaning to the trip? The question of purpose or meaning. And there really have only been four ways to answer that question. In all of human history, there have been those who gave this answer. No one can know the answers. And that's the answer of atheism. There have been those who said, I don't care if there are any answers. That's the answer of agnosticism. There are those who said, we can make a guess. And that's the answer of philosophy and religion. And then there is the answer that says the answers have been revealed to us. And that's the way of God in Jesus Christ. Now today we're opening a new series. It's called Anchors in the Storm, Vital Truths for a World Set Adrift. I have to say, pretty cool uh, anchor there, don't you think? Uh, I just When I saw that, I was like, wow. That's Aaron Henley. If you know who Aaron is... He's the one that made that, and a little secret, he made it up in the room that you don't even know there's room up there, but behind that curtain there's a door and there's a little room up there, and he put all the pieces together and then brought them out and assembled them here, but that's quite an anchor, I think. But anyway, yeah. The anchors that we're going to talk about these five weeks are five truths that hold our lives steady during the storms of life, and those five anchors are God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, heaven, and one way. Now, God actually is only one God, and we're going to talk about him three weeks because he has revealed himself to us in three persons. God the Father, which is today, Jesus Christ the Son, which is next week, and then the Holy Spirit, which is the third week. Then we're going to talk about the reality of heaven because the question of destiny, where am I going, ultimately there's an answer. We're going to heaven, or we're going to hell, actually. But heaven is the destiny that I'm hoping for all of you, and so we're going to talk about the reality of heaven, and then the final week, the anchor we're going to talk about once again is Jesus Christ because he is the one way that we can be assured that we will go to heaven. And I'm really enthusiastic about this series because out there in the real world where most of you live and work and play and do all those kind of things, there are more and more people who don't think that it matters who they are. They don't think that, that their identity really matters. There are more and more people out there who don't think there is any real destination worth going. And there are more and more people who think that life is pointless. I, I meet them every single day. And maybe you're one of those people. Maybe you're here today and you don't really think that you matter. You don't really think that you're going anywhere and you don't really think there's any point to the trip anyway. Or if you're not one of those people, I guarantee you, you know those people. You work with those people. You go to school with those people. You know, they're your relatives and friends because that's the way the world is going more and more and more every single day. Now, I've never had that problem, or at least I should say I haven't had that problem for most of the 57 and a half years of my life, because when I was 12, 
I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. So the last 45 years, I've had an anchor in my life. And, and I'm not saying that I've never gone down a rabbit trail. I'm not saying that I've you know, never gone to a dead end in my life. What I'm saying is I've never doubted that who I am matters because there's a God who created me. And he died for me and he rose again from the dead for me and he is in heaven and he's praying for me and he sent his Holy Spirit to live in me. I've never doubted that my destiny matters even when I don't exactly know how to get there. And I've never doubted that there is meaning and purpose to life because since the age of 12, I have had the anchors that we're going to be talking about for these five uh, weeks as part of my own life personally. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at three different scripture passages, and as we read them, in fact, if I just read them, one, two, three, right now, and we're going to break the second one up into two parts, you might say, I don't see what those three scriptures have to do with each other. But you're, what you're going to see is the first scripture tells us about God, and the second scripture tells us why there are people out there who don't believe in God, and the third scripture is going to tell us why uh, it's important to keep focusing on God because there are, are always going to be tendencies in the world we live in to take us away from him in, in our everyday life. So the first thing we're going to look at, and, and some of you, I know you came in and, and, and some of you uh, do this every week. You open up the connection and you look through it and see what the announcements are. And then you look at the title of the message. And so some of you know the title of the message is I am dot, dot, dot. And some of you know that I am is actually a name that God gave himself in the Bible. And every religion and, and, every, and even a lot of philosophies, they have given a name to the deity or the God that they serve. But the interesting thing for us is that our God gave his name to himself. Nobody named God. He named himself. And in this particular incident, it's a really cool situation because God decided after he created people, and we're going to fast forward to a time when God decided to call a separate nation, a separate people known as the Israelites or the Jews. And the way he did that was by starting with a guy named Abram, who he changed his name later to Abraham and his wife Sarai, who became Sarah. So Abraham and Sarah, we're told as old people who were comfortable old people. I mean, they had lots of stuff. They had relatives. They didn't have any kids, but they had lots of stuff. And they were prominent in their community. And God spoke to them and said, I want you to go from this comfort and I want you to go to another place. I'm going to tell you where it is once you start going. And amazingly, Abraham said, sure. And so he went to this new land, which we call Israel, but let's get ahead of the story. So Abraham, Abraham believed in God and he believed that God would do what God said he would do. And the most difficult thing for God to do was to start a nation from an old man and old woman who were way past childbearing years. But God does a miracle, and so God gives them a child. His name is Isaac. And Isaac, the actual name Isaac in Hebrew means laughter, because Abraham and Sarah both laughed when they found out they were going to be parents at such an old age. And so they had Isaac. And then Isaac had a son, actually two sons, but the younger son, Jacob, becomes the one through whom this people of God is going to be, you know, the ancestry is going to be traced. And Jacob wrestles with God one night, and God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. And that's where we get the name for the nation of Israel. And then Israel has 12 sons, lots of sons. Um, and and uh, there's an 11th son named Joseph. And, and unfortunately for Joseph, his dad loved him more than all the rest. And all the other brothers were jealous. 
And so they sold Joseph into slavery. Joseph's story is a sad story at the beginning because he didn't do anything wrong except sort of be a little bit arrogant because God had given him some dreams showing him that one day he was going to rule over his family and he told his brothers about it right away, which I probably would have done too if I were Joseph. But anyway, um, so Joseph is not liked by his brothers. They sell him into slavery. He's a slave and everything's going actually pretty well for a slave until his master's wife accuses him of some improprieties. He's put in jail. So it sort of goes from bad to worse for Joseph, and he's in jail, and, and things don't look too good for Joseph. But then one day, the king of Egypt, which is, that's where he's in jail, is in Egypt. He's not in Israel anymore. He's in Egypt. And he's in jail, and the king of Egypt has these two dreams, and nobody can say what they mean. And so the cupbearer for the king says, hey, I was in jail with this Hebrew guy named Joseph, and he can interpret dreams. So they bring Joseph up, you know, and clean them all up, and he comes in front of the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh tells him his dreams. He goes, oh, these are pretty simple. You know, God can interpret dreams. I can't do it. But God tells me that what this means is there are going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. No crops are going to grow. So what you should do is get somebody to, you know, be in charge of the country and to keep uh, the crops, extra crops, to store them away in, you know, storage buildings for the seven good years. And then you'll have food when it's, you know, not so good. And Pharaoh goes, that's a good idea. And you're, you're in charge. So Joseph goes from being a slave to being a prisoner to being in charge of Egypt. I mean, really, I mean, he gets to do everything except be called the, the ruler, but he tells everybody what to do. Now, the famine goes on, and the people of Israel are hungry because the famine's throughout the Middle East, and they go, the brothers go down to Egypt to get some grain because Egypt has grain because Joseph was, you know, doing the, the stuff he said. So anyway, the brothers don't know it's Joseph because they think Joseph is dead, and, uh, and actually, Joseph knows it's his brothers, and he could have you know, been really mean, but he wasn't. Well, he sort of tricked them for a while, but then he told them who he was and that dad and everybody needs to come down to Egypt as guests because, you know, I'm sort of in charge. And so they come down as guests. It's a wonderful situation. And then Joseph dies, and generations pass. And the king comes to rule in Egypt who doesn't remember Joseph. And the Israelites have now multiplied from 70 people to a million people. And the Egyptians are afraid of the Israelites, so they put them in slavery. And the people of Israel start to cry out to God. This God of their ancestors, you know, we're in trouble, we need your help. And nothing happens. And if you were in Israel or Egypt and as an Israelite slave, and somebody interviewed you and you said, do you think God exists? You might say, well, I'm not sure. Do you think God is good? I don't think he is because he's not helping us here. But God is listening. God is not deaf. He's listening all the while they're crying out. And finally, God decides, I'm going to do something about this. So he chooses the least likely candidate to deliver the people from slavery in Egypt. The guy's name is Moses. Now, Moses was born as an Israelite in slavery. And he's a little baby. And, and the Hebrew people were told they had to kill their babies if they were boys. But the mother couldn't do it, so she put him in a basket, and he floats down the Nile River. And the princess, one of the princesses of, of you know, daughter of the king, um, she finds the baby, and she pulls him out and calls him Moses because she pulled him out. That's what Moses means. And, and so she raises him as a grandson of the king of Egypt. It's like Moses' life is cool, wonderful, easy. But when he grows up, he realizes, I'm not really an Egyptian. I'm sort of like an Israelite. And he goes out and he sees how the Israelites are being treated. And one of the slave masters of the Egyptians is mistreating this Israelite, so he kills him. And that becomes known. And so Moses has to run away. And he's in Midian, a place next door to Egypt, you know. And, and he marries this woman from Midian, and he's a shepherd. And so if you came along and interviewed Moses and said, Moses, what's your identity? Moses would go, I'm a loser. Where are you going, Moses? 
I'm going to go watch my sheep. You know, what's the meaning of life? I don't think there is a meaning of life. I have no clue if there is one, but I'm pretty sure there's no point to it. And then one day, God shows up. God says, Moses, I've chosen you to go back to Egypt and tell the king of Egypt to let my people go. <laughs> Moses goes, you've got to be kidding me, right? And, and, and God says, no, I'm not kidding you, Moses. I want you to go back. And Moses goes, I can't go back. And, and, and they had this argument, God and Moses. And so here's what happens, and it's the first scripture for today. It's found in Exodus chapter 3, and, uh, and this is what happens. In the middle of the argument, it says, Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say the, to, this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are who you are, that you are the God of all that is, was, and ever will be. God, we thank you today for this word from you that reminds us when we think that who we are doesn't matter, that we matter to you. That when we think there's no direction or purpose in life, you give us that direction and purpose. And when we think that there is no point, you are the point and you give us reason for living. God, I pray that your spirit would speak to us that word which will make us leave this place knowing your reality more than we ever have before. And I ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. What a name, isn't it? I mean, that's an amazing name. In fact, in the Hebrew, it actually means I was who I was. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. It can even mean I cause to be what exists. This God, who is the God, he appears to Moses in a burning bush that isn't burned up, and that's what got Moses' attention in the first place, and they have this dialogue, and God has established that he's it. And you would think that Moses would just go, yes, sir, I'll go right back, sir. But he didn't. He continues to argue with God, and he finally, you know, he says, just send somebody else, please. And God says, do it. Thus coming the Nike slogan, just do it. Okay, so anyway... Moses does. He goes back to Israel and he does what God told him to do. Now you would think that Moses' life-changing experience would have changed everything in that moment and it didn't change everything in that moment. In fact, Moses continued for a while to say, I'm nobody, I don't matter. And I know that everybody in this room, at one time or another, we have said, I'm nobody, I don't matter. And the reason I know that is because there's somebody lying into our ear all the time. His name is Satan. And Satan, who is the enemy of our souls, is constantly saying to us, you don't matter. You will never matter. You don't have a point. There's no reason to be exist. In fact, there's no God. That's what the devil wants us to believe, that there's no God. Because if he can get us to believe there's no God, then there's no five anchors. There's no anchors. If there's no God, there are no anchors, right? And so the thing is, I want you to understand, this is the take-home point for today. And for those of you who are new, the take-home point is the one point we want you to remember and go out and live in the week ahead. And here it is. God is. He anchors our past, our present, and the future. 
And as we look around out there, it's very easy to assume, to assume there isn't a point. It's very easy to assume that if there's a God, he isn't good because of all the bad stuff that happens. I mean, this past week in France, right, some people are killed because they draw cartoons. That makes no sense. It makes no sense. When we look out there in the world, there are people who are hungry for no apparent reason than where they live. There's all this stuff going on, and we go, there can't be a point to all this. Maybe we're just, you know, maybe we are just highly evolved animals. Well, actually, maybe we're not even that highly evolved. If you think about it, maybe life really is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. I mean, that's what we could assume if we look around out there in the world. But the truth is what I already said. The reason why there are people who don't believe God exists and the people who believe that there is a God, he doesn't have our best interest at heart is because of the enemy of our souls. And we read about him first, and this is our second scripture today. And it goes back way, way, way before Moses. In fact, it goes back to the beginning. God had created everything in the universe. He had created the earth. He created two people. And guess what? They were perfect. Their names were Adam and Eve, and they loved each other with a perfect love. And they loved God with a perfect love. And they had a job that they did perfectly. And every day they got to talk to God. And the thing was, we're told... In the book of Genesis, which we're going to turn to in a minute, but we're told in that book that there was an animal named the serpent. And he was the shrewdest of all the animals God had created because he was inhabited by the devil. And so what did he do? He came up to Eve and he said, Eve, who are you? And Eve had a simple answer. Well, I'm a child of God. And he goes, oh, man, that's not who you are. Are you really, are you really buying that one? You know, come on. Cut me a break. Don't, don't you want to be more than that? Don't you want to be more than you are? No, the truth is, you couldn't be more than she was. You know? and, and he goes, don't you want to be like God? And the truth is, she was already like God. She was creating an image of God and the likeness of God. She thought she, she had thinking ability like God. She loved like God. She was like God. She wasn't God, but she was like God. And she already was. That's who she was. But, but she started doubting that that was enough. And, and then the, the devil said, where, where are you going, Eve? Where's your, where are you going with your life, you know? Don't you want to know the difference between good and evil? <laughs> That's sort of a stupid question, isn't it? If there's only good, why would you want to know the difference between good and evil? But, you know, Eve starts doubting. Ah, maybe there is something more out there that I don't know. Maybe I should, should know about it. And then, then, then the devil says this, you know, God's lying to you. He told you that if you eat this fruit, look how good this, this fruit looks. If you eat this fruit, you know what's going to happen? Your eyes are going to be open. And you're not going to die like God says. It's, it's, he, doesn't, he doesn't have your best interest at heart, Eve. And so Eve was deceived. And, and that's where we turn now in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. It says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it too. And that, at that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Okay, so Adam and Eve listened to the serpent. And, and it did change their identity. They no longer were children of God in a pure sense. Now they were tainted by sin. They, they, they no longer had the ability to just have this conversation with God at the end of every day. Where they were going was different now. And, and the truth of the matter is, as they thought about the point of their lives, they didn't feel better. They didn't feel good. They felt 
shame. And every one of us in this room has felt shame because of Adam and Eve's sin, because they turned away. That's been passed down through all of us. And every one of us in this room has felt shame. And after they felt shame, they covered themselves up. They had been naked. They didn't even care that they were naked because everything was good and wonderful and perfect. But now things weren't perfect. And they looked at each other differently than they did before. And that evening when God came to see them, as he always did, to talk about the day, they no longer believed that God was on their side. They no longer believed that they could trust God. They no longer believed maybe even that God loved them. They didn't know what was going to happen. And as soon as God showed up, they started pointing. It was her fault. It was her fault. It was your fault. So shame turns to blame. It always does. I'm ashamed, so I have to blame somebody. It's not my fault. It's your fault. God, why, why did you create her? If you want to create her, everything still be good. Well, and, and she goes, well, it's his fault to the devil. And so this is what happens next. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first prophecy of the coming of Jesus in the Bible. Jesus is going to come. The offspring of Eve, Jesus, is going to come. And we're told that what he's going to do, it says in this translation, strike the head of the serpent. No, no, no. It says crush the head of the serpent in the original Hebrew. And that's what Jesus did when he came 2,000, well, I don't know how many thousands of years later. Jesus came to the earth and he lived a perfect life. And he is God, and he is human, and so he died to pay the penalty for the human sin that started back there in the Garden of Eden. And when he died, the devil thought he won because Jesus was dead, only to find out that his head was crushed and that he had lost, and that now human beings could be restored to this relationship with God that we were always created to have, we were always intended to have. And, and that's what happened in Jesus Christ. Now, just last week, somebody said to me, I don't believe in God. The reason I don't believe in God is because if, he was, if there was really a God, he would be good. And if there was a good God, there wouldn't be all this evil stuff going on in the world. He would have created the world perfect. <laughs> he did. He did create the world perfect. God did create the world perfect. And he created us perfect. The problem isn't with God. The problem's with us. That's what happened. God created a perfect world. He created us perfectly, and we messed it up. And here's the thing. People would say, well, you know, if he's God, he could make us all do the right thing, right? Well, he could. If he would have wanted to do that, he should have just stopped with Labrador Retrievers, right? If he wanted us to all do the same thing over and over in a condition, you know, condition reflex response, we, he should have stopped with Labrador Retrievers because you can teach a Labrador Retriever to do what you want it to do. But God didn't want Labrador Retrievers. God wanted people. God wanted someone in his own image and likeness, someone with freedom to choose. And now there is the scary thing because when God created us with the ability to choose, we can choose to say yes or no. And we come out of the womb saying no, at least when we learn to talk. And when we say no, the no can be no, I won't do what you say. The no can be no, I don't even believe you exist. And so we walk around thinking that we're God because there isn't any God or maybe there is no God. There's no point. Life really is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. We believe that and God lets us. 
You see, God will not force anybody to follow him. God will not force anybody to submit our lives to him. God gives us the freedom to respond to his offer of life that's truly life. And we can either accept it or reject it because God loves us so much. And the truth is, as I have lived these 45 years as a follower of Jesus, I just can't understand how people reject the truth, how people reject the life, how people reject the grace. And then I go, oh, yes, I can, because I do it in my life. Even though I already know Jesus, even though I follow him, even though I love him, I still lots of times say, no, God, uh -uh. I'm not doing that one. I'll do the other one, but I'm not doing that one. You see, we're going to talk about this in two weeks when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will guide us to do everything right. He'll empower us to do everything right. But the flesh, that is the sinful nature with which we're born, it's still there. And there's this struggle going on. More about that in two weeks. But for today, let's think about one more reason why when we look out there in the world, there's so much darkness. Why we look out there in the world, there are so many people rebelling against God. And the last scripture comes from the book of Hebrews. It's the 13th chapter, and it actually points forward to next week's message about Jesus, but it also points about more reasons why people don't believe the truth and why so many people are drifting because they don't have any anchors in their lives. And it says this in Hebrews 13, verse 8 and 9. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. So the author of the Hebrews, what does he do? He reminds us about something that it sounds very similar to what Moses was told by God. God said to Moses, I am who I am. I was who I was. I will be who I will be. And the author of the Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, what God is saying, or the word of God is saying here is that God the Father, Jesus, we could add this to the Holy Spirit. They don't change. If you're perfect, you don't need to change. God never changes. God the Father never changes. Jesus never changes. The Holy Spirit never changes. Who needs to change? Us. The people that are imperfect. We need to change. Now, the thing is, the reason that we can hold on to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as anchors in our lives, they'll never change. Through all of the changing storms of life, they will never change. And here's the thing. Did you read what he said after he said that God never changes? So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. If there's ever been a time in history when there are strange new ideas, it's now. You know, the thing that's interesting is people who have the strange new ideas, a lot of them are very well educated. People go to school for a really long time and they get strange new ideas. And then they think that they're God. Now, I'm not against education. Trust me, I'm a slow learner. I went to school for 12 years, then I went to college for four years, then I went to seminary for three years, then I went to seminary for three more years. So I've been to school for a lot more than most of us have. I'm not saying school's bad. What I'm saying is it's bad when we go to school for so long that we believe that just being educated makes us right. Being educated doesn't make us right. Speaking the truth makes us right. And you see, back in the 167, wait, let me make sure I have my dates down here, right? Yeah, 1650s to the 1780s came the age of reason or the enlightenment. And it happened in the Western world, you know, Europe and America. And what happened is we substituted the age-old truth of God in Scripture for human reason. 
And so now when we look around in the world, people believe that what's true is what's written in laws of human beings or written in philosophy books of human beings or written in governmental regulations of human beings. And so we think that the truth is what our brains conceive it to be. And the interesting thing is, God said, back in the day of Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus was born, so around 2,800 years ago, God said, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So if there's a God, and there is, and this God has reasoning capacity that is higher by the degree of you know, heaven above the earth to ours, because we're finite and he's infinite, then how will we ever understand him fully? We can't ever fully understand him. How can we know for sure that he exists? Well, we can trust that the evidence all around us is overwhelming, because it is, and we can believe the truth. And the bottom line is it doesn't matter what we believe. It matters what's true, and God is true. The anchors that will hold us, they will hold us. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, heaven, and that one way to him, those anchors will hold us no matter what philosophical construct is out there, whatever psychological construct is out there, whatever you know, idea from the world of physics is out there. And, and down through the ages, brilliant men and women have not believed in God. Probably in our day, maybe the best example is Stephen Hawking. You know, Stephen Hawking has decided that the idea of God is irrelevant and not necessary. Huh. So what we're saying is Stephen Hawking doesn't believe in God. God believes in Stephen Hawking. God believes in you and me. You see, it doesn't matter if we believe. It doesn't matter if Stephen Hawking believes in God. It doesn't matter if a bunch of atheists don't believe in God. It doesn't matter if I believe in God. It doesn't matter if you believe in God. From this standpoint, God exists. He is. Same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, one of the coolest things in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, there's a time where it says, you know how it always says God was and is and is to come? Well, there comes a time in the book of Revelation that says God was and God is. Is. There's no more is to come because he is. He's, gonna, he's coming back. Jesus is coming back and it's just going to be God is. Every moment for that moment forward is going to be is. No more future. And as we live our lives... We can believe whatever we want to believe because God lets us. And if we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, here's something you need to know. Your life might not instantly get better because there are still sinful people out there and they can kill you. There are still sinful people out there and if they don't agree with you, they can you know, hurt you. There are still diseases out there and all disease is the ultimate result of sin. What I'm not saying is if you have cancer, it's because you're a sinner. What I'm saying is everybody gets cancer because sin exists. There wouldn't be cancer if it wasn't for sin. God created a perfect world without disease. And diseases are part of the reality of sin in the world. And I can promise you this. I have seen people who have had cancer healed of cancer by the power of God. And I've seen people die of cancer who trust God just as much as the other people. And they get to go and have the ultimate healing of being with Jesus forever. And, and so just believing in God doesn't take away all your problems. It doesn't take away all your, your, your difficulties. It doesn't take away all of our diseases automatically like that. What happens is our reality changes. From that moment, it's no longer the world from our point of view, but it's the world from God's point of view. 
And so I can look into a suffering, hurting world and I can say, God didn't do that. We did that. You can look into a, a, a world and say, even though it doesn't seem like God's listening, I know he is because he says he knows what we're praying before we pray. And we know that's true. And so I want to appeal to those of you who do believe that there is a God who has a son whose name is Jesus, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for human sin, who rose from the dead and who's now in heaven praying for us every day, according to Romans chapter 8, and who sent his spirit to live and dwell in us so we can have the power of God. All of you who believe that right now, I want to appeal to you to do something in the year of 2015. And me. I want us to live as if that reality is a reality. I want us to live as if the anchors that we say we have, we actually have. What does that mean? It means that we'll let the Holy Spirit work in us. It means that we will see miracles among us. It means that we will see light out there in that dark world because these anchors that we're talking about these five weeks are real and true and valid regardless of what the world says. But the best, the best evidence that I have ever seen for a skeptic is a believer who actually is believing and living with that belief in their life. When I was 15 years old, I decided the church was irrelevant. I stopped going. I decided they're all a bunch of hypocrites. I didn't need them. Now, I still believed in God, but I was starting to drift. I mean, I was starting to drift. And, and the anchors were, you know, not holding me very well. And along came a man named Andy Wygant. He was the pastor in our church in Gypsy, Pennsylvania. He had graduated from Harvard, which caught my attention. And uh, I couldn't understand why anybody graduating from Harvard would be in Gypsy, Pennsylvania. I mean, didn't make any sense. I, I thought maybe he didn't learn as much as he thought he did. But anyway, anyway, he came to town. And I asked him why, and he said, God called me there. And I said, what, on the phone? Because I really was a smart aleck teenager who didn't like the church at all. And Andy Wygant showed me the truth. I said he showed me the truth. He didn't just tell me the truth. He lived it. He loved people even when they didn't love him back. He spoke the truth in love no matter what happened to him. He prayed for my brother. My brother's eye got healed overnight. He opened up the Bible, and when he read from the Bible, I knew one thing. I might not believe it, but he did. And he lived the truth. Andy was not my anchor, but he put flesh on the anchor for me. Sometimes you need to see, sometimes you need to see the anchor, you know, out there in the world. You need to see somebody who is living with those anchors. And Andy was that for me when I was a teenager. And I don't know where I would have drifted to if it wasn't for him. And you could say God sent Andy and he did. But for the moment, my anchor in the storm was solidified because there was another person who actually was living with the anchor. And so I'm asking all of us who believe it, to live that way this year. And, and the commitment is right now on the screen, right? The commitment says this. Huh, I don't even know what the commitment says. I do know what it says. I will let God anchor my life every moment, every moment this week. The key is, I just said this year, that's general and vague, but every moment, that's pretty specific, isn't it? Every moment. The key phrase is every moment. And the reason it's a key phrase is because nobody who knows Jesus Christ like I do and did when I was 15 years old ends up in the darkness without a lot of effort. Every moment. You see, here's what happens. I'm in the light, right? And one moment, you know, I go, well, you know, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read my Bible. 
I don't have time to give thanks to God. I don't have time to, to ask God to help me in this situation. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. And look where I end up. In the dark. And one day I wake up and I go, I don't believe in God anymore. I don't believe there's a good God. I don't believe that God exists. I don't believe that Jesus is the Savior. No, I started out over here. How did I get up over there? How did I end up over there? This much at a time. Not this much at a time. Nobody wakes up one day and goes, I don't believe in God anymore. It happens this little by 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 little. So how do you get out of the darkness? Well, this is the cool part. That can happen like this. You can be in the darkness and you can say, Jesus, come into my life and you come into the light. Now, you still need to grow. I still need to grow. I, I still don't know a lot of stuff. But I know this. Jesus Christ is real. As real as any of you in the room. Actually, more real than any of you in the room. Because he's God. I know that the Holy Spirit is real. I have seen him do amazing things in my life, in other people's lives. And I know there's a creator. You know, Paul the Apostle, right before he died, sent a letter to Timothy. And he said, I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've trusted him against that day. In other words, I'm going to die, but it doesn't matter because I'm going to heaven. And there is a heaven. There is a place we're going. You see, who you are matters to God. Where you're going matters to God. The purpose of our lives is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the chief purpose of our lives. Now, I, I've been talking to you who believe what I've just been saying. Okay, let's say you came in the room today. You don't believe it. You came in the room saying life doesn't mean anything. I don't know if it has a point. I'm urging you right now to say, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is a God who has a son named Jesus. Maybe there is a God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and rise again so I can have a life that has meaning and purpose. And if you believe that in your head and in your heart, all you have to do, all you have to do is say, Jesus, God, I know you exist. God, come into my life. I, I trust Jesus, my Lord, which means owner, my Savior, which means he's going to save me from sin and death. Live in me. I, I want that, that Holy Spirit Pastor Chris has been talking about. And if you'll do that, your life will change. And as I said, it might not be easier, might not be better in the world sense for, you know, maybe ever. There are people in the world today. I mean, my wife and I were talking about sacrifice. You know, the people that come in early like this, the, the worship team, they make a sacrifice to be here every week. And it's true, they do. But it's not like the sacrifice that you're making in Indonesia or India if you're a Christian. I mean, they're breaking your bones and setting your house on fire. That's a sacrifice. Okay, but there are people that would rather have that done to them than to deny the reality of the God who exists. And the point of that illustration is your life might not be better in the world's standards by following Jesus. But if this life is all there is, the world's standards matter. But if there's more to the life than this life, then the world's standards don't. So let's take a moment and pray. And let's thank God that he is. And ask God who is to rule in our lives today. Almighty God, we thank you so much for who you are and who you were and who you will be the same yesterday, today, and forever. I ask God today that if there are any in this room who have not yet trusted you, that in this moment, in this very moment, they would say, Jesus, come in, take over. Rule in my life. Be my owner. Be my savior. And that they will know the anchor that comes 
when God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lives in them. God, for those of us who already know you, I pray that, that we will live in your power, in your grace, in your goodness, your love. That we will be light in darkness, salt in a tasteless world. That we will go out there and show people you exist by who we are and where we're going and the meaning of our lives. God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that you love us so much that you didn't give up on us when we gave up on you. In Jesus' name we pray.